We thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you're for us. We thank you that your grace is always sufficient for every day and for every task. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you're not a God far away in some distant place. But you are right now, God, that you're with us by your spirit. You dwell within us. You walk with us and talk with us. Hold us by the hand and lead us in your righteous path. We thank you for the comfort of this glorious truth. Emmanuel, God with us. And in that we find great comfort. And in that we find great peace. Lord, we love you. Help us to never forget that. Help us to live our lives with that in our minds. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's wonderful. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, good morning. God with us. Emmanuel. What a precious thought. What a great encouragement as you walk through life. Amen. Things change, but he remains the same. Things can, you know, people can fail you, but the Lord will never forsake us, with us, and for us. Hallelujah. When you got such a God on your side, look out. Amen. The storms may come, but they won't win. The floods may rise, but they won't overwhelm. Amen. Ah, what a God. Praise the Lord. Children, you are dismissed at Children's Church. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, what a good group. Don't forget, next week they, they're going to be singing. They're going to. So come on out. Invite Granny and Grandpa. Invite someone. Amen. And invite old Uncle so-and-so, you know, the grumpy one. Invite them all. Amen. Invite them all. We believe God get a hold of them. You know how many knows God can get a hold of you through a children's ministry? Amen. Uh, the Holy Spirit, he moves in powerful ways. Praise the Lord. Now, if you would, if you would turn with me as we continue in our Bible study in the churches of Revelation, Revelation 3, Revelation 3, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, Revelation 3, amen. We're going to look at the church of Sardis this morning. As we've said, these letters have come from the Apostle John being punished by the Romans, he's sent to a penal colony of sorts, the island of Patmos, a barren rocky island off the coast of Turkey. And they kind of send prisoners there, hoping they just kind of die of exposure and die of old age. But you know, no matter where this world throws you, you're never without the Lord. Amen? I mean, this is a beautiful situation. He's out there, I mean, a place of hoping he would die, and Jesus shows up. He'll show up in the strangest places, won't he? He said, on the Lord's day, the Apostle John was in the Spirit. When you stay in the Spirit, it's amazing how God will talk with you and God will show up and God will be there when you didn't. You know, the last person I expected was Jesus, you know, and here he is. Well, on that island, Jesus appeared in his glorious splendor of his resurrection, his exaltation. And he gave John seven messages to seven churches in that area, about an hour apart from each one. In each of these messages, we've been saying there, there were letters to them, but there's still lessons for us. Though they were letters to specific churches, dealing with specific things at a specific time, they also apply to every believer and every church of every generation. 
For the Bible says over and over, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying, not just what he said, but what he is saying. So we look at these and we study these, um, these letters wanting to know and understand what is it that our Lord appreciates and applauds. What is it that Jesus approves of? I want to do that. But we also learn what he rejects and what he judges. And I want to definitely avoid that. So if you would, we're going to look at the church of Sardis. Revelation 3, beginning with verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. I'm reading the text. I wasn't talking. No, wake up. Strengthen what remains. Stir up what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished or incomplete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and what you've heard, hold it fast, do it, and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you'll not know what time I will come to you. Yet, verse 4, I have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They'll walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. This is the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white, and I'll never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels, Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us hear. Father, we thank you for your word. Give us a hearing ear, an understanding, a receptive heart, that we might learn your ways and we might respond properly to your commands, that we might be the people you desire us to be, for that is the goal of our faith. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Our title, Sardis, a reputation without a reality. How many know you can have a reputation and it's not always the reality? Well, letters to them and lessons for us. This week, the city of Sardis. It was the capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia. By the time this was written, it had its, its prime was maybe 700 years earlier. It's amazing, some of these cities, our country's only been around 250 years, right? And some of these, a thousand years, this city's been around. But here we go. They were at one time one of the greatest cities in the world. They were famous for its strategic location. They were positioned in a place where they were built upon a 1,500-foot elevation that was defended on three sides by just sharp cliffs that you really couldn't climb up. On the fourth side, the city was approached by a very narrow isthmus, and it was so narrow that a handful of men could hold off thousands of of enemies it was considered to be impregnable it was considered to be impregnable and despite that invincible location the city of sardis had been lost to invaders twice in its history and both of those losses were the result of overconfidence overconfidence is a dangerous thing amen and we were talking the other night at the christmas banquet about a good football coach and a good coach will ride that team harder when they got an easy game coming up than sometimes the harder games because he knows the danger of overconfidence. When we get overconfidence, we can get a little soft and a little um, uh, unalert, and we don't put in the effort. Don't be overconfident. The Bible tells us again and again that, 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 that pride results in us being fallen and, and rejected, but the humble, 
And we stay humble. That's where God's grace is. Amen? That's where God's promotion is and God's blessing flows. So again, this city, thinking they were secure, twice in their history, maybe two, three hundred years in between these events, twice in their history, they failed to post a lookout or a night watchman in certain places, but they never thought the enemy could approach that way or knew about that way. And in a similar way, the Lord Jesus, he addresses the church because it had become so secure in its reputation that they had failed to recognize what it had become in reality. Dr. George Wood, for many, many years, was the head of our denomination in writing uh, on this certain group of scriptures He comments, really, he gives a prayer. He says, may our churches continue to have performance consistent with our profession. That's pretty good, isn't it? May may our performance always be in line with our profession. Let's not have empty professions. But the things we espouse, let's live them out. Can you say amen? Amen. Number one, the destination of the letter, um, verse A, and number one, to the angel in the church of Sardis, right? The city of Sardis. By the time it was written, it was a very, um, it, it was wealthy, but it was a degenerate city. Economically, it was rich, materialistically, but spiritually, it had become bankrupt. The church at Sardis had won a good reputation at one time, but presently, from his clear-cutting comments, the Lord Jesus didn't see it like they saw it. And how many of us know it's his opinion that counts ultimately, Right? Dr. David Jeremiah writes, They had grown content in the beautiful buildings they had erected on the corner of self-satisfaction and complacency streets. (laughs) May we never have that address. Can you say amen? Instead, as believers, let's stay humble and hungry before the Lord. Let's stay in, in love and on fire for Jesus in the sanctuary, out of the sanctuary. Let's stay filled with the Spirit. Let's stay fervent in our praise. And let us stay faithful to the whole counsel of God, believing it and living it. You know, the Apostle Paul, that great man of God, he left, he had a right attitude on how to keep oneself from just living off a reputation. He could have lived off one, but he did have quite a reputation. But he shows us in the Scripture, he gives us some good words of advice how you and I can avoid the trap of Sardis and avoid somehow just going through the motions and not keeping the inner man really fervent and really sincere in our walk with God. And we see Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. Paul gives some of the greatest advice to help you and I as believers not to somehow just start living off a past experience, but to keep it fresh and to keep it good before God. Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this, man. He obtained a lot in his walk with God. But Paul says, you know what? I haven't arrived yet. This is one thing that keeps us hungry for God. And going forward in God is the recognition, staying humble before God, that we're not there yet. There are still more mountains to climb. There are still more depths in God to experience. There's closer places in Jesus that we can all go to. He says, not that I've already obtained this or have already achieved my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Not that I've already obtained it. I haven't already arrived, but this I do. I press on to take hold of what Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Can you say amen? 
He says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself as having to take, I haven't arrived yet. He'd built great churches. He had visions. He'd gone into heaven. He wrote most of the New Testament. Paul says, you know what, brothers? I haven't, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. There's still more areas I need to grow in. Amen? There's still more experiences in God that I have not experienced, and I want to experience them. He said, but this one thing I do, I'm going to forget what's behind. Not that he got amnesia, but he's saying, I'm not going to let all the wonderful things I accomplished and enjoyed and experienced with God, I'm not going to let those things just become a ritual. I'm not going to let those things just become an old passing memory. I'm going to let those wonderful things of the past promote me and move me and motivate me into my future. I'm forgetting what's behind because I'm not going to let what's behind hold me back. But I'm going to strain and reach forward. I want to reach ahead and get a hold of God in a fresh way, in a new way. I press on towards the goal. I want to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here, Paul, to keep you and I from falling into the trap of the Sardinians, he says, listen, here's some good words of advice. Number one, have a divine dissatisfaction in your life. Oh, yes, I'm satisfied in Jesus, but I'm not satisfied with where I am in Jesus as I know there's areas I need to grow and I know there's some things I still haven't done and there are some beautiful encounters with God that I'm still waiting to have. I want to have a divine dissatisfaction and I want to have a forward direction. I'm not going to live in yesterday. I'm going forward into a fresh new day. I'm going forward because God has something greater for us. Regardless of what we've experienced, regardless of the great joys and the accomplishments we've had, there's something greater just over the next hill. There's something more precious just over the next hill. For some of us, it might be seeing Jesus face to face and hearing him call us by name. But oh, let's not go backwards. Let's go forward. Can you say amen? amen? I want to live off a reputation. I want to have a present reality. I want to have a current. Paul says, have a divine dissatisfaction. Make sure your spiritual life has a forward direction. And above all, have a sincere devotion and a determination. I'm going to press. I'm going to reach. I'm going to do my part not to get stale or not to get complacent. I'm going to do my part to hunger after God and to thirst after God and to go forward in my spiritual growth before God. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. The destination, then the diagnosis of the church. Now, very, very important. Very, very important. Many of you are from an older generation, and that has a lot of good qualities about it. Now, some of the younger generation, there's some good things and there's some negative things. We've all heard about the cupcake generation, where we get a cupcake just for showing up, and you get a trophy just because you, you showed up, and, and it's no longer about achieving, and now it's just, it's very, and we've lowered some things. And because of that, we've become very oversensitive to anything we perceive as negative. You're going to have a hard time reading that Bible, because that Bible is always dealing with the human being calling us to a better place, calling us to a more Christ-like example and image. Can you say amen? Amen. So you need to recognize this and understand that as we study this church, Sardis, or really any of these churches, remember that Jesus, he sends them these words of warning and awakening, not to condemn them, but that they could respond and change the diagnosis. 
A good doctor will give you a diagnosis, but I want a little more than a diagnosis. I want a remedy. Can you say amen? And Jesus, he'll give this church, he gives each individual a real diagnosis when he sees something needs to be addressed in our lives. And it's not because he's mean and he's hard. No, it's because he's a loving God. And like a good physician, he's able to discern it and diagnose it. But he's got good news, he's got a remedy for it. And if we'll hear it and respond to it, we can change the diagnosis. Hallelujah, glory to God. You can reverse that prophecy. You can change that word. You can transform that thing. How? By responding to the word of God. By responding to what Christ and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. The diagnosis of this church. I know your deeds. You got a reputation of being alive. But you're dead. Now there were few in the church who the Lord commends. Verse 4. There were few in the church, but to the church as a whole. Unfortunately, says your reputation is not your reality. I know they still believed in their 16 fundamental truths. They, 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 they knew when to say amen and when, you know, but something had gone missing in the heart. Now, they might have been there at one time, but they had let things slip away. Now, we don't know. It could be in church. Maybe they got so mechanical and just so orthodox, but they lost the spirit. See, if you recognize when Jesus begins this letter, he says, the seven spirits of God. He's not talking about seven spirits. Seven is the, the, the number of completion. He seeks the completion, the fullness of the spirit. Somehow they lost the fullness of the spirit. They still had the outward ritual. They, they knew how to, you know, say amen, stand, sit, sit, sit. You teach an ape to do that. But somehow they had lost the sincerity and the genuineness in their heart. You know, you can sing the song not have any heart behind it. You know what I mean? You, you, you can quote the scripture and not have a reality, a real faith in it. Oh my. So maybe it was in the church they just got so mechanical. It was a ritualistic religion without a real heart and sincerity. Or maybe outwardly. After they'd come and do their religion, they'd leave and they'd go and soil their garments. They were inconsistent in their living. They'd Live one way in the church and another way out in the world. But either way, Jesus, and Jesus never gets it wrong. How do you know that? Amen. Now we get it wrong all the time. Jesus never gets it wrong. He says your reputation is not lining up with your reality. I think some of us might remember in the late 80s. I know for the most part the 80s were glorious. I love the 80s. Amen. <laughs> hey, I met my girl in the 80s. Amen. Got married in the 80s. Graduated from everything in the eight good days, good days for the most part. But there are some negative parts in the 80s. View around the church, we can remember certain preachers. They had a reputation, but it wasn't a reality. You say amen, out, you say what you want. It is what it is. Portraying one thing and doing another. Now such things still go on in both individual lives as well as congregations. But the Lord knows, and nothing escapes his eyes, and there will be a day of reckoning, an hour when we are all called into account. Now, you note takers, you write down 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Talking to believers. To every one of us. So we better live it right. Amen? 
Smash the mask. That's another sermon for another day. Get rid of the mask and live it out and be real in your Christianity. Now we notice about this church, there are no words about persecution. Now the church might have been better off with some opposition to awaken them. But they're nothing to persecute. They weren't doing anything. They were just religious. The devil's not afraid of that. We can go through all the motions of religion. That don't move him at all. But when there's life, look out. When there's the life of the Spirit that's moving, look out. Instead, they had grown comfortable and content living off the past, but the present, the present. Got cold and mechanical, the present. They were beginning to let certain compromises in. They were soiling their garments, and they weren't walking in that holiness and in that consistency. Now, I'll say it again. There's nothing wrong about looking back at the good times in the Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us again and again to remember the faithfulness of God. Remember the goodness of God. Remember the mighty deliverances and acts of God. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We should all be able to look back and remember the faithfulness of the Lord so it propels us to believe God today and to trust God today and to be firm and bold in our faith today. But along with being able to look back with fond memories of the goodness of God, we must have. It's imperative that each one of us has a very present walk and worship with God that is sincere and genuine and real. Dr. Wiersbe writes, Theirs was a reputation without reality, a form without force. Like the city itself, the church of Sardis gloried in past splendor, but ignored present decay. Oh, God, keep us from such things. Outwardly, the appearance fooled men. You can fool men with statistics. You, you can fool men with, with wonderful sounding. This You can fool. Men are easy to fool. Can you say amen? Preachers are easy to fool. But you can't fool the Lord. I can't fool the Lord. Outwardly, the parents fooled men. Might have even impressed men. But the Lord pronounced, you're dead. Somewhere it had become ritual. Merely a form. Their works, he said, were incomplete. Their garments had become soiled. Somewhere along the way, the power had left. The passion had left. The sincere love for Christ and Christ alone had left. The pure preaching of the gospel had left. The love of fervent praise and rejoicing before the Lord had left. The burden for lost souls that Christ died for had left. They just went through the motions of religion. Oh, Lord. And Jesus says to this group, you're not what you appear to be or what you say you are. It's time to stir it up. It's time to fan that flame once again. It's time for a new dedication and a new consecration and a new devotion and a fresh encounter with the living Christ. Things look good, but upon further review, closer examination. I read a story that reminded me of Sardis about the Queen Mary ship. It said about the Queen Mary that when it was launched, it was the largest ship to cross the oceans back in 1936. And for about four decades in one world's war, she served until they retired her and anchored her 
and they've turned it into a floating hotel and museum out there in Long Beach, California. During the conversion of this ship, her three massive smokestacks were taken off to be scraped down and repainted. But on the dock, they just crumbled. They just crumbled. Nothing was left of the three-inch steel plate from which the stacks had been formed. All that remained was more than 30 coats of paint that had been applied over the years, and the steel had all rusted away. The appearance said one thing, but the true condition was something else. Remember, Jesus one time said to them old Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. The outside, you're making it look good, but inside, there's not that reality. Oh, my Lord, my Lord. So we pray, Lord, help us as a church, as individuals, as a family, to remain strong and sincere and current in our love and our obedience and our sincerity for you. Not living off yesterday's experience or just going through the motions of religion and ritual. So we look at these words and we thank the Lord that Jesus is not ready to make his benediction. The question is asked when you read something like this, can such a life or such a congregation be restored after Jesus himself makes such a diagnosis? This leads us to the direction of the church. Because we want to thank the Lord this morning. If you're within the sound of my voice, you're here this morning, you're listening on CD, you're home, listening on, uh, on the computer, we want to thank God that it's not too late. Though Jesus might say, you know what, you're not where you need to be. You know you're not doing what you should do, but it's not too late. There's time to respond. There's time to get revived. There's time to be restored. It's not too late. Time is passing, yes. Opportunity is shrinking, yes. But if you can hear me, it's not too late to come back to a spiritual reality, a spiritual resurrection, to turn things around and get things right with your walk with God. It's not too late. Somebody, it's not too late. It's not too late to get things right, to get your house in order. It's not too late to get back with walking with God like you once did. It is not too late. That flame doesn't have to die and your name doesn't have to be blotted out. It's not too late if you'll respond and get real and serious with the Lord. It's not too late. If you'll say, Jesus, I'm tired of just playing religious games and I'm going to be sincere and real and genuine and serving you both in the sanctuary and even more importantly, without. It's good news. There's hopeful news. There's gracious news from heaven. It's not too late. You can come back and he'll receive you. You can make up your mind like the prodigal that you're going to come to your senses and return back to doing what you know is right and he'll accept you. You can return and revive that old flame and be cleansed and restored to a sincere and serious walk with God. And to this church, Jesus gives three exhortations to help them get back to a reality that will please the Lord and be sincere and true before the eyes of men. The first thing he says, if you notice in verse 2, he says, wake up. Wake up. I read the other day about a man that asked his doctor if there was something, anything. 
that could be done for his snoring. The doctor asked him if it disturbed his wife. The man said, no, just the rest of the congregation. Oh, Lord. Wake up. Wake up. (laughs) Wake up. Lord, wake up. The person next to you trying to listen. Wake up. Wake up. Hallelujah. The leaven starts quietly, secretly. Then it spreads. And then it begins to really mess. Wake up. The Lord Jesus looked at this church, church made of individuals. He said, you got a reputation. But the reality is you're spiritually dead. You're not walking with me. You're playing a game. You're acting it. You might go to church, bow, cross yourself, stand up. Then you're going out, cheating on your wife. Going out, lying to your boss. Going out, doing things that grieve the heart of God. Just wake up. Others coming in church. Shout, jump up and down. In their heart, they hate their brother. Wake up. Woo-hoo. I mean, we're going to preach it. We might as well preach it. Can we preach it? Are we allowed to do the Bible justice when we open up the book? I mean, they're not my words, they're his words. I mean, you can take it up with the author. Ah, I'm just that newsboy. I'm just throwing it on your doorstep. He begins verse 2. Wake up. Some of you translate, be watchful. It means be wake up and be watchful. Stir yourself up. It's time to get real and serious about the things of God. Be watchful to the city that had been defeated because of its failure to watch. For the lack of spiritual vigilance is always costly. And this is in the present tense, so it's be constantly alert. Wake up and stay alert. It's a call to that consistent spiritual honesty and spiritual examination that we all need to practice to stay strong in God. Be alert to the seriousness of the situation. Because we might over-exaggerate things, but Jesus does no such thing. This first command is a picture of an individual maybe shaking someone that has passed out. Someone that's drifting off. Don't pass out on me. Stay awake. Wake up. Be alert to where you are and to what the Spirit is saying to you. Sincere Christian, serious believer, if we want to stay spiritually strong and healthy, if we want to avoid the trap of Sardis and stay close to Jesus, then watchfulness, being awake, watchfulness, must be a constant practice. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, he said, be watchful, standing firm in your faith. And spiritual alertness, This is the first key Jesus gives them to having a reality, not just an empty reputation. It starts out by living a life that is watchful and alert and awake spiritually. I'm awake both to my personal condition, but also to my personal surroundings. The Bible says, let a man examine himself. I need to be watchful to my spiritual walk with God, but also my surroundings. I've got to be watchful. What is the condition of my marriage? What is the condition of my witness on the job? What is the condition of how I'm carrying out the ministry God's given me? 
Why is it so important to be watchful? Many, many scriptures point us this way. I'll give you three quick ones. It's important to live a watchful life. It's number one, the devil's prowling, temptation's lurking, and Jesus is coming. How about that? The Bible says that. The Bible says the devil is prowling. And if you live alert, watchful lives, you can address him and you can discern that and you can come against that before it devours. Didn't Peter say, be alert, be wakeful, watch out? For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So if you stay watchful, you can put on that whole armor of God. And when Slewfoot shows up, you can take your stand in the armor of God, resist him and run him off. But if you're asleep, he comes in and he's killed half the family before you woke up. I'm pulling that one back because I could run with that one. You have an altar call right now. Don't wait till half your family's gone before you decide to get right with God and live wholeheartedly for God. Don't wait for half the damage to be done. Live a life of being alert and watchful spiritually. Believe the Bible. If the Bible says the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, you better believe that the devil is out there prowling around, wanting to devour marriages, wanting to devour ministries, wanting to devour testimonies on the job. Oh, yeah. How do we defeat him? By being alert and aware of him so that when he shows up, meet him, greet him, and defeat him by the power of God. Be alert. Be alert. Why? The devil's prowling. And temptation's lurking. You know we're all made out of the same junk. Everyone's got an old nature. That old nature can be religious. You can revert back to the 80s. You, you, You can preach to great crowds, go out and sleep with the prostitute. I'm just saying, we're going to, is this the Bible? Are we allowed to be honest? Honesty? Oh, no, 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 no. Tempter's lurking. Temptation. We can be easily lulled. Matthew 26 and 41, Jesus is in the garden and he's praying. He's facing his trying times. And he says to his men, watch and pray. Why? So you won't fall into temptation. The tempter's coming, but he doesn't have to seduce you. He'll try, but he doesn't have to defeat you. But you've got to watch and pray. You've got to be alert and recognize that reality and pray and do the things that keep you strong and overcoming. You see, when I'm weak or when I get slothful spiritually, when I get distracted, that makes me vulnerable. That makes me easy prey. My guard goes down. And you watch what you shouldn't watch and you say what you shouldn't say and you believe what you shouldn't believe. Come on, say amen. Watch. He says, watch and pray. Because that spirit is willing, but oh, that flesh. It's weak. It's always going to be weak. Paul said, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Amen. Temptation waits for weak, unguarded moments, then attacks. Isn't that right? I used to tell that story all the time. You know, you've got to overcome these weaknesses of the flesh. Oh, Lord, I'm going to go late. I'm going to go. I feel this. No, no, you've got to realize how that tempter works. We've got to be smart. 
I realized as a young man, my temper was never the best. It's come a long way, never good, never, never patience and temper. Those were two weak points. Still are if I let if I don't keep them under. Amen. But that that anger thing, that temper, it was ten times as bad when I got physically tired or hungry. When I got tired, you know, sometimes you got to go out certain situations, and you'd rather not go out, but you got to go out, isn't that right? And you're smart enough to say, honey, I was younger. I said, honey, you know, I'm trying to get victory over this temper of mine here. And so, you know, so-and-so's coming out, and such and such a conversation might come up. If I start going, just kick me under the table. <laughs> honest, honest. I'm a young man in my 20s. I'm just saying, I know the Lord's not pleased with it, but that subject comes up, and I just can't help it because I might have been right, but it was wrong in what I was saying. You know, I might have been right in what I said, but, you know, I didn't need to say it. Amen? Be a, yeah, yeah, part of, yeah. Ah, felt good to the flesh. But then afterwards, when Jesus got a hold of him, I said, oh, Lord, back to the woodshed. I felt like I lived in the woodshed back in those days. Amen? Jesus, watch. Watch and pray. Because that old flesh of ours. Mm. But what Jesus did, because Jesus lived watchfully and alert, in the hour of great pressing, in the hour when he was tried like never before, he prayed. He prayed. I mean, he prayed. I mean, sweat of blood, praying. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord came and strengthened him. And you know, if we live watchful lives, it doesn't mean we'll avoid every struggle. But it means when the tempter comes, we'll do the right thing. We'll seek God and we'll cry out to God. And God will strengthen us like he sent an angel to strengthen his only begotten son. He'll send believers. He'll send his Holy Spirit. He'll send a word in season to strengthen you and to strengthen me. If we'll watch so we can respond properly when the temptation calls us. Can you say amen? Because we all get tempted. And it's good sometimes to walk away saying, thank you, Lord, for the victory. I didn't say that thing that I would have said when I was, you know, 10 years younger. I wouldn't. Amen. Hallelujah. It's so important to be watchful because the enemy is prowling. Temptation is lurking. And the Savior, he is coming. And I definitely want to be awake and ready when he calls me home or he comes to take me home. Can you say amen? Matthew 24, 42 and 43. You know, the Bible repeatedly tells you and I, the scripture tells us, urges us, in fact, to keep watch for the coming of the Lord. Keep watch and be ready. Keep watch. But he'll come at an hour when we don't expect him. Watch, therefore, for you don't know what hour the Lord will return. So we've got to live ready. Amen? Watchful. I'm going to make sure I'm right. I'm going to make sure my surroundings are... Hallelujah. Number one, Jesus said, now be watchful, be awake, be diligent, and learn to examine ourselves and stay spiritually alert. Now, if you notice the tail end of verse 2, something interesting. He says, I have found your deeds unfinished or incomplete in the sight of my God. You know, Dr. Barclay writes the thought, while we watch for Jesus, he's watching for us. And while we look to Jesus and we call on Jesus as we should for help and provision and wisdom, 
and strength. Yet he also calls to us looking for love and for loyalty and for faithfulness. He said to this church, I have found your works incomplete. You're not finishing what you were supposed to do. You're not continuing in what you know is right. How many started out good, but then they didn't finish? How many heard God and God dealt with them and then they started to make some steps and then they kind of, oh my, oh my. Be watchful. He says, wake up. And then he says, stir up. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Strengthen it. You know, we learn again from the Apostle Paul. He gives us another great example. In 2 Timothy, when he writes to Timothy, and we all should be familiar, he says, Timothy, stir up the gift within you. Fan into flame. And here's Timothy, Timothy, a young preacher. But he allowed timidity to get the best of him. He let some fear to get in there. And, and the fire of his faith, the fire of his devotion was starting to go out. And Paul says, stir it up. It teaches you and I that I must take the initiative and the responsibility to keep the fire burning in my life. Though God ordains it, God initiates it, I have to keep it going. And here's what Jesus says to the church. says, strengthen what remains. It was there at one time. It's getting weaker. It's starting to die. But if you'll stir it up, you can get back to that full praise. You can get back to the whole heart of consecration. You can once again be a bold witness on that job. Jesus immediately calls the attention to the flicker of life that was still there. He says, keep it alive. Keep it alive. Don't let it die. Take advantage of the opportunity God has given you. With a grateful heart, respond. To the warnings of the king. He desires a people that will serve him with a sincerity and a proper passion and zeal for the Lord. Romans 12 and 11. Romans 12 and 11. Paul writes, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor or fire serving the Lord. What a beautiful verse. He says, Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your fire going for Jesus. Keep your passion going strong for Jesus. Never be lacking in zeal. I think the Phillips translation would say it like this. Let us keep the fires of the Spirit burning. In the Greek it means keep it to a boil. Keep your love and your devotion boiling. Amen? Don't let it go down. Here it is. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. You keep it. Amen? You keep it. You stir it up. You keep it going. You work it out. Hallelujah. So I meditate on this and thinking about this throughout the week. I had thoughts of things that help us guard ourselves or gauge ourselves from the Sardis trap, from merely just beginning to get mechanical and living off reputation, but losing the sincere power and grace and love and zeal for God. Because it's easy, the more you know it, it's easier to fake it. Can you say Amen. It's harder for someone younger to fake. You've got to know something to fake something. Isn't that right? You see. So when you live this thing, when, you've been, when it's been real long enough, it's easier to fake. So you've got to monitor our hearts. And as I thought about this, I thought about at least four areas that these things will help us from just becoming mechanical, help us 
from being phony. They'll keep it real. I think number one, one of the gauges and one of the guards would be our praise. One of the gauges, one of the guards would be our prayers. One of the gauges, one of the guards that would keep us would be our participation. One of the gauges, one of the guards that would keep us from just being religious and just faking it it would be our proclamation. Our praise is important. As we said earlier, Jesus begins this. He speaks of the fullness of the Spirit. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit stays in His fullness in our lives is through the prayers and the sincere worship of God's people. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will glorify me. One of the chief roles of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. And one of the chief ways He does that is by praising Him through vessels He is indwelling. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And that through yielded vessels, those that have been redeemed, you and I, those that are filled with the Spirit, as we worship the Lord and praise the Lord, that keeps it real and that keeps it genuine. That keeps the presence of God sincere and paramount in our lives. Let's praise Him. Let His praise continually be in our mouths. You know you know, a dead church, their praise is usually the first sign. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Even if they're mimicking the right words behind the pulpit. When, when a dry as dust, pale as a corpse. You know what I'm talking about. Isn't that right? One way to keep it real. Keep your praise real. Keep your praise genuine. Love Him. Express that love for Him. It's only proper. Give Him praise. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. With all that is within me, praise His holy name. Woo! Praise. Praise, praise. I mean, you love someone, you praise them. You're in love with someone, you got to let it out. Nothing in there. Maybe that's why nothing's coming out. Stir it up. Stir it up. You used to sing, stir it up. You used to prophesy, stir it up. You used to have the song of the Lord, stir it up. Jesus said there's a flicker. You don't have to die. Stir it up. Stir it up. I was in one church, I just, I mean, doctrinally they're preaching it. Huge crowd. But oh my, the praise was so dead. How, you know how dead it was? How dead was it? How dead it was? We were just kids. We were young. We are young. We were young. Big choir. I had a choir as big as our church. They're supposed to be doing congregational singing. <laughs> my wife loves to sing. She loves to praise the Lord. She starts singing. Well, I thought she was being rude. Because I didn't know it was congregational singing because no one else around us is singing. It was just a choir. I said, honey, please don't know. And the choir is trying to sing. <laughs> I said, I said, that's, that's root. No, we're all supposed to be singing. Oh, come on. No one's singing. I don't see anyone else singing. I looked a little bit, about ten rows that way, I guess. Hey, so I guess. I mean, that first step to having a reputation without a reality is when you lose your song and your joy in the Lord. When you're no longer praising him who is worthy and wonderful and awesome, who died for us, who loved us when we were lost, who found us, who brought us, who bathed us. Oh, hallelujah, he's worthy. But I found out one way to keep it real is make sure your praise gets real. Come on, keep your praise. Keep your praise. Keep your praise. Amen? Keep your prayer. Don't just say prayers. Commune with God. Jesus said in John 15, he says, abiding in that vine. That word in prayer, that word you walk with God. Amen. We don't just wait to 911, then say a prayer. No, we commune with God. Isn't that right? 
We, we pray during prayer meeting. We pray going down Walmart. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, what do you think about this? Lord, help me in that. There's a communion. There's an abiding. We don't ever sever that line. We don't say prayers. We pray. We wake up talking to God. We go to bed talking to God. Middle of the night, trying to find your way to the restroom. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're good. Hallelujah. Yeah. Keep it real. Pray. Jesus said, wake up. Stir up. Stir it up. Hallelujah. Isn't that right? Oh, yeah. I love coming to the sanctuary. Love gathering with the redeemed. But that's not the only place I praise. Not the only place I pray. Isn't that right? In Publix, in the car, right? Oh, in that automobile. Just you and Jesus doing your own thing. Isn't that right? Woo, sometimes you one minute you're going about 100, the next minute you're doing 40. You know, you're moving with God. You're forgetting everything. You forget where you're at sometimes. I mean, that glory comes in. That glory ever come in your car? My Lord. Oh, that glory comes. I start crying. I can't see. I'm fogging up. Oh, no. This thing's real. Keep it real. That's another title for this message. Keep it real. Don't fall into the trap of Sardis. There is our praise and our prayers. Colossians 4 and 2, be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Being watchful because hell and life will try to keep you from praying. Distractions, disappointments, the busyness of life, hell will do whatever it can to sever that lifeline. Because once you're not communing, the next step is just acting. When the lifeline is cut from communing and loving, the next day I just act. I'm living off an old, but it's no longer fresh, current, and present. You know, that rose still looks beautiful for a day or two after it's cut. It looks beautiful, but death is working. Death is working. This has been severed. There's some gauges. There's some guards that, that keep us. If it happened to Sardis, it can happen to me. But Jesus, the great physician, he not only gives me his Bible to warn me of these things, to tell me to look out for these things, because they're very real, potential things. He also says, you know what, you can do some other things to keep it firm, keep it fresh, keep it real, keep it current, keep it genuine. Our praise and our prayers, our participation being involved in the work of God, being involved with the people of God, locking arms with one another, carrying out the cause of Christ, carrying out the commission of Christ, doing the works of Christ. We don't just end it here. We take it out wherever we go. Amen? We we use our life. We sacrifice. We serve. We give our all for the cause of Christ. Keep it real. Fighting a battle. We are fighting a battle. Onward, Christian soldier. Put on that whole armor of God. It's time to stand. It's time to go. It's time to do his work. It's time to lock arms. Your brothers and your sisters who participate. Participate. Be involved. Use the life he's given you. Use the gifts he's given you. Carry out his command. Do his works. Represent him boldly and sincerely. Hallelujah. Our prayers 
and our praise and our participation and our proclamation. If we're going to keep it real, we've got to be men and women of that book. If it's going to be real and not just religion, we've got to honor and love and esteem that book. Both as individuals and as a congregation, we've got to boldly and unapologetically proclaim the book and live the book and believe the book. Can you say amen? You'll notice the churches that die. You know there are great denominations now ordaining queers. The Lord left that mess a long time ago. Someone said judgment going to come. That is the judgment. That came because they left that book long before they got into that mess. You leave that book, you'll leave everything. Sooner or later, you leave. that's the only govern from heaven is that word of God. That's the only book. And if you stay living with that book personally and corporately, and give that book its proper place, reverence and honor, to do the word, to believe the word, to stand on the word, that'll keep you fresh. That'll keep it real. One of the quickest ways to death, we start ignoring that book. We start denying the pure, clear commands of that book. We're no longer striving after the call and the commands and the commissions of that book. Death. You can have the right fundamentals. Have it in your creed. But when you no longer believe it, you'll no longer preach it. And they'll no longer live it. And their faith will come from hearing the CBS news. Their, their mentality and worldview will come from hearing a lost academic world. And no longer will be grounded on the B-I-B-L-E. Hallelujah. I'm saying we can keep those four things. You will never be guilty of just having a reputation and not a reality. If you'll keep your song and keep your praise and keep a fervent joy of worship in your heart, that'll keep the spirit full, free. If you be a man or woman of prayer, we don't just say prayers. We don't just pray when tragedy hits. We commune with God continually. We walk with him. We talk with this God. He's our shepherd. He's our heavenly father. Love the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. That'll keep it real. Oh, I've got to love that book. It's our proclamation. That book, times will make us say amen. Other times make us say ouch. Isn't that right? Someone says, boy, that's a strong word, man. I preached it myself last five days. You ought to try that. Amen. You just get it once. All week long I was getting it. Then some. Amen. The material goes three hours. You only get 40, 40, well, you know, something like that. Something like that. You only get, you know. Oh, yeah. That book. That book. Amen. You love that book. Feed on that book. Order thy steps toward that book. Let no sin have dominion over us. Woo! Hallelujah. Glory. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to hear it and we're going to do it. Build that house upon the rock. And we're going to participate. The call to involvement. Stir up that gift. You know, you, you can have a gift. If you don't use it, it'll start to get a little rusty and tarnished. And sometimes it'll just die out. You've got to use that gift. Use the gifts God's giving and participate in what God is doing, what the church is doing. Carry out this commission. Lock arms with your brothers and sisters. Be part. Be part of the great things God is doing in the here and now through his body of Christ. Hallelujah.
Glory to God. I got to stop. I can get to the last point. Last point, he says, remember. He says, remember. You know, remember. Woo! That's something. You want to keep it fresh? <sighs> got to be able to remember. Got to remember what he's done and how good he's been. You got to remember how far he's brought you and everything he's taking you through. You got to remember what you have and what's in store for them that love the Lord. You got to remember. And he say that, verse 3, he says, remember what you've heard and what you've received. You remember the great gospel you've received. One author said, go stand before the cross of Calvary and remember again and again and again the love, the life, the death of your Savior and what He did for you and how loving and merciful He's been towards you. Remember how good God has been. Remember the great salvation He has given us. We once were lost, but now we're found. We once were dead, but now in Christ we are alive. And the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead dwells in you and dwells in me. And friends, we've just begun this glorious walk. There are eons and eons and eons of ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning, my Lord. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Remember the goodness of God. Remember the great salvation He's given. And remember there is a place called heaven and He's taking you there. It will be worth it all. Keep it real. Keep it current. Keep it fresh. Keep loving Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Give Lord a hand clap. He's wonderful. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Woo. Woo. Writer, put it like this. Never allow yourself to forget. Stand before the cross and remember again and again all that God's done. How much he's loved and what he now desires of those who call themselves sons and daughters of the living God. We're going to close it down. God is so good. Jesus in his love puts this in the book so we can avoid the deception and the trappings of Sardis. That we can avoid just merely going through the motions. But we can keep it real and current all the days of our lives. Both individually and corporately. Let's keep the spirit fresh and full in our lives and in our services. Let's honor the word of God again in our lives and in our services. Let's participate. Let's get involved. If we really believe this gospel, then we'll be doing our part to advance this gospel. Everyone has different gifts. Everyone has different opportunities, but we'll be doing what we can do to help people in Jesus' name, to lift people up in Jesus' name, to get this gospel out in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Oh, may his praise continually be in our mouths from hearts of sincere love and adoration. From hearts, you see, we talk about praise. I'm not just talking decibels and dem, you know, demonstrativeness. You know that. I'm talking about a sincerity and a biblically praising him and loving him 
and honoring him and giving him the glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, glory, glory to God. Let's keep it real, friends. Let's keep it real. Can you say amen? All right, we're going to close in prayer. And then we'll open the altar. If you need prayer, you just want to come and pray, come on. We'll pray with you. We'll believe God for you. If not, maybe we can just sing this song one time through and just praise the Lord. Just give him praise. And say, Lord, help me live it out. Live it out. Go ahead and stand with me, please. Sardis had a reputation without a reality. But, oh, not us, not us. We're going to stir it up. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word that not only gives us accurate diagnosis, but gives us the remedy and how we can avoid certain things and live out other things. Lord, we love you. I ask you, Lord, give each one of us a fresh fire on the altar of our hearts. Oh, God, touch us this day. Each one of us, that we might walk in a greater measure of sincerity, fervence, and obedience to our Lord and to our King. Father, I pray, increase our sincerity. Increase our devotion, our sacrifice, our passion for you. We don't want to live off a past reputation. We don't want to just go through the motions of religion. But we want to stay full and overflowing with the Spirit of God. We want to stay full and in love with the Word of God. And we want to be vessels participating in the commission of God. Father, bless these dear ones that are here today. You know every need in every situation. Father, in the name of Jesus, let your healing hand be laid upon those that need a healing touch in Jesus' name. Let your comforting hand be laid upon those that need the comfort and the peace of God in Jesus' name. By your spirit, let the yoke of heaviness be broken. Let the scourges break. Let that defeatist attitude begin to go. And Father, may the wind of the Holy Spirit blow refreshing and renewing and reviving upon your people. Oh God, as we come to this altar, let gifts of healings flow. Let fresh fillings be imparted to the thirsty and the hungry. And let each one of us receive a fresh touch from God that we might walk it out in reality and sincerity. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, let's praise the Lord. The altars are open. We can pray one for another. We can worship the Lord and get a fresh filling.